From John's announcement this morning, you know that we are about two weeks away from gathering back at the building for worship on Sunday morning, June 21st. We're excited about it. We're looking forward to it. But just a quick reminder that this is going to be a process over the long haul. It is going to be a difficult process as well. We don't want to be a source of infection. The health of each and every member and visitor who comes to our building is going to be a big deal. And because of the nature of the pandemic, it's going to be tricky. It's going to be difficult. So we're asking every member of our church family to pray for the success of this process. Also, let me remind you to go to the website on a regular basis so that you're up to date on all of the information as it's released. Now, churches, our church in particular, but churches in general, need to be on the edge of ministering to our country right now. We live in a culture of pain. Pain is all around us. Think about how the pandemic has brought pain into so many different areas of our life. There is the literal physical pain of having the virus in your body. There is the pain of loss, the loss of job, the loss of income, the loss of a business. There's the, the pain and the anxiety for money stresses that come because of those losses. And then there's the ultimate pain, the grief that comes when we lose a loved one. And then our political world seems to be in just a, a, a painful place. The political world is, is, is vicious and vitriolic right now. And we're surrounded by people in this community who are in pain and dismay and anguish from the video of what happened to George Floyd in Minneapolis. When Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God, he spoke of a kingdom that brought blessing and healing and life and hope to everyone who would dare believe it to be true and would in, enter into it through faith. Jesus talked about the blessing that overcomes the meanness of fallen human beings in the world. He brought healing to the wounds inflicted through acts of injustice. He talked about life, abundant life, rich life, real life, blossoming in the badlands of the soul. And he talked about hope, that is the belief that the good will come, that God will come and displace the viciousness that had been loosed upon the world. And in the days leading up to the Messiah, Israel was in a very uh, scattered place. And they were in political disarray. They were under the, the foreign rule of a foreign power, Rome. Economically, it seemed like everybody was struggling. Religiously and culturally, they were fragmented between Sadducees and Pharisees and Zealot and Essenes. And then one day, a prophet who was known for preaching hellfire and brimstone sermons and baptizing people for the forgiveness of their sins in the Jordan River, he spies a carpenter's son across the street and walking down the road. And he turns to his own disciples and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29. And this lowly born, poor, statusless, positionless man who was only outfitted with his righteous life and his kingdom words in the three years of his ministry completely changed the world and transformed human beings. And this, this carpenter's son, this Messiah, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, has passed this work on to us. And it is with our righteous lives and our kingdom words that we go out into the world, not just to make a difference, although that is an important and, and big piece of it, but to bring in partnership with the Spirit of God the transformation of human lives through the gospel. And that is why we have been considering the power of words. We must, as disciples of Jesus, we must never, ever forget that words are important, that words are a big deal. Words, number one, are powerful. God spoke creation into reality with a word, and human words are also capable of great, great good, great, great creativity, or at the same time, great harm. Uh, 
And our words are revelatory. Our words reveal us. Our, my words reveal more about me than I guess I would like. Your words reveal more about you than you would like. Our, we are our words. You are your words. I am my words. Our words reveal the state of our heart. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 that it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. And then thirdly, and we may not always think about words this way, but our words infect. Not only do our words reveal what is in us, but our words can get into others, into the core, into the center of other people like an infection. Think about why the CDC wants us to wear masks. If you're infected, the droplets containing the virus, as you speak out and, and, and converse with people, they invade the space of those around you with the possibility of infecting them with the virus. Your words coming from a dark place in your heart or your thoughtless words or your angry words can, like these droplets of COVID-19, bring infection to the soul of another person. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 12 that there is one whose rash words Rash words, that is thoughtless words and quickly spoken words are like sword thrusts. The words, the rash words are like sword thrusts. What he means by that, and, and we have experienced this, all of us have experienced this, that there are words that have been spoken to us that seem to cut us like a knife. They just seem to penetrate us and these, these words inflict wounds in our lives that can take a long, long time to heal, if ever. And that is why James, the brother of Jesus, gives us what we've been calling the big three when it comes to our words and our mouth and our speech. James, in James chapter 1, teaches us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. In this final message on the power of words, I want to end with some of the positive uses of words. And this is going to involve an important choice that each of us have to make, as well as a major challenge to accept. Now, I'm going to read the final section of Ephesians chapter 4, but I want to set the stage a little bit for the words. At the beginning of chapter 4, Paul is, is really encouraging and teaching the disciples, these new disciples in Ephesus, that they are to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. In other words, when people on the outside are looking in and they see a kingdom person, they should be able to get an idea by that person's words and their behavior, the way they, the way they live. They should be able to get an idea of what the gospel is all about. And what that means for the disciple of Jesus is that there is a trajectory, or there should be a trajectory of spiritual growth where in the end we look like the Christ. It means living a different kind of life than the one that was lived before conversion to Jesus. And so he says, as he makes his way towards the end of the chapter, he says in verse 22, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Think about what Paul is saying to the church. He's saying, get this in your mind, get this, this, uh, this image in your mind that you have dusty, torn, ragged clothing. You take that kind of clothing off and you put on new clothing, clean clothing, uh, sparkling clothing. You are going to look different than you did before. And one of the things that Paul is saying looks differently in the, the disciple, life of a disciple are the words that come out of the mouth of these Christians. And so beginning in verse 29, he has these instructions. Do not let any unwholesome, circle that word or underline that word in your Bible, unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, 
but only what is helpful, circle that word, building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of, get rid, very straight language, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And so here's the choice that you're given. Will I be a demolisher or will I be a builder with my words? Let me repeat the question. Will I be a demolisher or a builder with my words? That word unwholesome that I had you underline or circled in your Bible just a couple of minutes ago is a very interesting word. It's the word in the original language, the Greek language, the word sapros, and it means literally means rotten. Think of meat well into the process of decay. During our first year in Brazil, there was a garbage collector strike that lasted a very long time. It was a long, long, long time. The strike had taken place during the hottest part of the year, and there was stench that when you walked through it, it would make your eyes water. It was that bad. So by the time it was over, trash was piled piled as high as a house around the neighborhood. And one morning, I was walking past a pile that was being hauled off, and at the core of that trash was food so rancid and, and so covered with maggots, maggots that as I, I walked through the stench, I felt like I needed to turn around and go home and to take a shower. Have you ever been on the receiving end of some ugly words or some, some angry, vicious words, and you just felt like, man, I feel like I need to go home and take a shower? Paul is telling those new disciples in Ephesus, you are not to have a rotten mouth. Don't use language that demolishes people like decay demolishes meat or flesh. And I think that Paul, if he were writing today, would add what we write, what we write in social media, emails, text messages, Twitter, or any other media that is used for communication. It all falls into the same kind of category. There is no place for words spoken or written that are laced with mean intent in the life of a disciple of Jesus. A rotten heart overflows with rotten words coming out of a rotten mouth. The tree, the person, is just rotten to the core. I re- my generation may have, been, may have been the last one to experience this, but I remember one day as a little boy, I called my younger brother stupid, and my mother yanked me up and dragged me into the bathroom and made me stand in front of the sink, and she, stuffed, uh, she stuck uh, a bar of Life Boy soap into my mouth. And basically what she was doing, she didn't like that word that came out of my mouth, even though it seems sort of innocuous today, but she, that was a lesson, the, the soap in the mouth. She was washing those bad words out of my mouth. And my mother did that because she did not want my youthful meanness to grow into adult meanness. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15 that what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Paul says that there is a different way to live with the, with the words, with the power of words. He says, continuing in verse 29 of Ephesians 4, building others up according to their needs that it may benefit. Your words are to benefit. Your words are to build up. You are a builder of person with your words. I mean, have you ever been around someone in your life that every time you talk with them, you feel better about yourself, you feel more confident, 
better equipped for life, more courageous to face whatever it is you have to face, more mature, more blessed. You leave their presence wanting to do better, speak better, and be better, make better decisions, make better choices. And, and you walk away feeling uplifted and built up, even though they may have told you something that was negative about yourself, the one thing that you didn't want to hear about yourself, they had a way of saying it that even if you didn't want to hear it, you appreciated them saying it to you and you walked away wanting to be a better person. You know, in my own life, I've just been so blessed to have people like that wherever I went. Their words to me, to my heart, to my mind, just came from a different place altogether. And that leads us to a challenge we need to consider as we think about making a difference in the world around us. Inward change, this is the challenge. Inward change leads to outward influence. Your outward influence is going to be directly connected to whatever inward changes take place in your life. The more mature you become as a human being, the more influence you're going to have on the outside. And so at the end of the passage, Paul tells the disciples in, in Ephesus that they need to get rid of all, not, not just part, not just do the job halfway, but to get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, the taste for fighting and brawling, slander, in every way that malice can be expressed. Why? The reason is because it's impossible to be a builder of people with our words if these evils are rooted, rooted deeply and, and, and strongly in our heart. The battle for your mouth, your words, and your tongue it begins in your heart. Your mouth and your words are to be a channel of grace and the gospel. That's why this inward change has to come first and it leads to an outward influence. And this is, quite frankly, one of the ways that the world's greatest beauty is concentrated in the church. And the need for this kind of beauty is so is the need for it is so profound right now. There is not an area in our world today that doesn't need the gospel beauty seen in the lives of, of gospel-transformed human beings. The community that we live in, the city that we love, this nation that we love needs the church to be this disruptive beauty in the face of commonplace ugliness in the multitude of faces it presents daily. Brothers and sisters, we have work to do. We have so much work to do in, for the kingdom of God and with the gospel in this community, in this state, in this country, in this world. A work that with righteous lives and kingdom words in partnership with the Holy Spirit of God will bring a gospel transformation to the hearts and souls of men and women all over. Martin Buber tells the story of two travelers lost in a dark and stormy woods. There is danger that lurks behind every tree. And at one point, the lightning strikes and the fool stares at the lightning while the wise man looks at the path and is able to travel from danger to safety. When I think of my own life and when I think of your life, I think of the words of the old, the old great hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, That Saved a Wretch Like Me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And in this moment, you have seen lightning, then move. May God of grace and peace give you strength in the coming days.